Hello, everyone, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and with me today, I have Tanika Askew, who is one of my favorite influencers in analytics to follow on social media. Tanika is the head of people analytics at Mozilla, which she will talk a little bit more about in this episode, along with ways that you and I and everyone in the data community can get engaged on social media to further our careers. It'll be very exciting to hear, and I can't wait to share this episode with you. So why don't you start out just telling me a bit about how you got into data and what your motivation was. I see your posts all over Twitter and LinkedIn, and I know they make me motivated. So what motivated you? Yeah, so I started out just, I'm super inquisitive. I I have questions probably about anything. I randomly look at something and I'll have a question about it. Like the other day, I was asking my trainer, how successful is it? for someone to um, be successful with their fitness plan if they stay over five miles away or 10 miles or 15 miles. So it was actually giving me some data on it and I thought it was really interesting. And I was like, okay, there has to be a correlation between the success of how close your trainer is to how fit you are. Data has just brought solutions to all those questions that I've had over the years. When I was in college, um, that's where I kind of started in data. And I started just doing like databases and building out a project. I actually did a project that was to help people fight fraud and unemployment. And I learned about a lot of the data and data systems there. And I thought I thought everything needed an algorithm. Didn't know what that really meant. But I learned um, databases fuel a lot of the systems that we use daily. And... I wanted to know more about it. So that's how I started in my path to data. And then ended up getting hired at Booz Allen as a business systems analyst. And I started working with a client who was very, very fond on the fact that I knew uh, Visio and I could create data models in Visio. And so that's where I literally started there in Microsoft Access, creating data models and prototypes and then eventually move my way up to doing reporting and analytics. That's awesome. And so funny to think about, like all the questions we ask as kids, like, why is the world round? Why is the sky blue? And it's like, there's data for that now. Um, you can probably find out the answer. So I love you bringing in that question about fitness and proximity. Um, so you mentioned Visio. But then I saw that you are very um, accomplished in Tableau right now. So how did you make that transition into Tableau for data visualization? Yeah, I actually have um, worked on Tableau like as a side project for a few years. But in my current role, we um, use Tableau fully for a lot of the reporting and analytics. 
So basically what happened was my client wanted to, once I built out these data models for him and we implemented um, some universes in SAP for them to understand their financial transactions, they needed to know how to create the government budgets basically and what line items go where. So in that, um, one really cool thing was having a dashboard. And I, at the time, had not, never did a dashboard before. And I asked my manager if I could go to this conference to learn how to use SAP. And he said, sure, but what do you know now? And I, and I had actually took the time to build some reports based on the knowledge I could acquire from Google and YouTube University, as I say. And I showed him, I said, look, you know, I've been able to build this, but I think I've kind of hit a wall with some of the understanding and the free material. So I'm wondering if I could go to this conference. And he was actually very impressed and he showed it to the client and the client was impressed. So both him and the client approved me to go to this conference. And I learned so much about um, reporting and um, web intelligence as well as business intelligence from that event. And I just came back and I wanted to be that person that was like the go-to for reports and analytics on um, trends and different analysis for uh, financial transactions. So I just went in with SAP first and then I started working with actually Power BI and helping my team basically deliver internally some reports, um, helping like the project managers deliver reports. But then came Tableau, and I didn't know how to use it. I actually started using it sparingly for uh, some talent initiatives that were internal to help me figure out how to use the use it before I got to the client. And I wanted to show return on investments on like conferences. So when a company goes to a conference, they they pay fifteen to twenty to thirty thousand dollars. So how many people are they bringing in? From that conference is how many people are coming to the booth how many people are they hiring um, and what's that value so if it costs about ten thousand dollars to hire one person and you're paying a eighty thousand uh, dollar booth you need to at least hire eight people from that conference to break even and some of those metrics weren't very known and so i used tableau to visualize what that looked like and show some pretty visuals of like people coming to the booth, how many um, people stopped, how many chatted, how many actually signed up, how many applied, um, who we interviewed on the spot, who we interviewed at the event. And I just started to actually really like Tableau and then I got into my master's program and uh, there was a Tableau component for eight weeks and it was like really awesome. So it was really interesting to just learn it, but what I found out after I did my program was Tableau wasn't um, used on my client site, so I just didn't use it for a while. But it's like one of the, it's like riding a bike. Once you get on it, you know how to do it, and you get back in it. <laughs> no matter what tool you use, Tableau, Power BI, SAP, Oracle, you'll figure you'll figure it back out. <laughs> I love hearing you say that because I think a lot of people really, you know, need to hear that story and hear your confidence because switching to any new you know, tool 
is really hard and our tools are changing so often. Um, I heard you mention your master's and I also got introduced to coding, data science, Tableau, R within my master's program, my MBA program. And I know that programs are getting even better and better at incorporating these languages and software into them. So do you feel like your master's was a big, big part of you learning and how much did you self-learn on top of that? So my master's, I really enjoyed it because it wasn't like my undergrad. It was basically case style for every class. Every class you're kind of given a business problem and you needed to solve it. It wasn't like, hey, we're gonna learn this tool today. Um, I'm gonna give you a set of data, make some visuals and figure it out. You actually had a business problem that you had to solve and you had to create, a vis create some visualizations to answer those questions. So for me, I spent a lot of time um, working on them because I was super interested in the power of the visualizations and what, what stories I could tell from it. And I did a lot of time just outside of work and my program, just playing around in it. And I think that's really where I learned to use a tool. And a lot of people used to ask me um, when I was at Booz, I received like the highest award in the company just two years in. And people were like, well, how do you have the time to do this? And I'm like, you have to make the time. And a lot of the organizations you work for aren't going to say like, hey, yeah, we'll give you a charge code to bill for learning. Um, but there, there is that component there. But the expectation isn't that you're just going to spend 12 hours, <laughs> 12 hours a week learning on the company's dime. You have to go out and um, self-learn a lot of things. And then once you know it, you know it. And when you come to the project or a client or internal engagement, when you know what you're talking about, you know how to communicate effectively with visuals and tell a story, people will want you in their engagement. I had so many clients who wanted me on their engagements before I left Deloitte, <laughs> it was very hard to pinpoint like how I was going to stay on one engagement at a time because I, all of the work was super interesting, but taking that time to actually, you know, everyone says you build your business from five to nine, you work nine to five and you build your business from five to nine, but you know, you can also use that time to build your skill sets, build your capabilities, and then uh, doing something for three months consistently, you never know what you could learn that could translate into a next, the next opportunity for you. And whether that's with your company, whether that's external, uh, whether that's just something for yourself or personal goal. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing to say. Um, I actually, I haven't heard that comparison between the five to nine being not just your business, but for yourself. Um, but that makes a lot of sense because I feel like nowadays, we're being forced more and more to treat ourselves like business, um, like a business. And, you know, for me, that kind of comes naturally because I was a musician first and I was always marketing myself. And then I have had two businesses since then. So, you know, it makes sense for me to kind of always question, like, where do I start and where do I end and the business begins? But I think even people who are not anticipating starting a business and want to stay fully, fully immersed in their work, their job, it still makes sense um, to self-learn. And I think that's such a good point. I'm hearing from you that you are incredibly in high demand for teams at consulting. So I'm curious, um, what made you make the switch out of the consulting world 
to Mozilla um, as a head of people analytics. What does that mean? So I thought that consulting, consulting was amazing and I still am basically a consultant. <laughs> um, the difference is, so as head of people analytics, basically what I'm doing is building out a program for anyone who needs data on their talent of their organization. Uh, they come to this program and this quote unquote business to get the insights that they need for their organizations when it comes to talent or people. So it's that really like the role because it's kind of that merger between being in tech, but also still being a consultant. Um, I work with varying organizations and stakeholders from C-suite to board members, uh, all the way down to just individuals who have questions around data and making sure that we have the tools. So make whether it's a dashboard, whether it's just a simple um, query, a deck or something like that to provide them the information that they need to solve their business problems. And coming out of consulting, this was just like a breath, <laughs> kind of like a breath of fresh air. Everyone talks about how for me in consulting, especially, everyone talks about how, um, you know, you're working so hard for the companies, you rarely have time to do stuff for yourself. I saw this as an opportunity for me to take the passions that I had, that I was working, like I'm working for my client 40 hours a week, and then I'm doing these internal initiatives for five to six hours a week um, that are focused on people initiatives. So taking that and putting it all into one role was really what, like what drew me to this role. So I get to bring in the consultative nature of the role. I still get to have that people component and I also have the analytics component all in one. And I think that it's really awesome. So for all you learning R or statistics in general or both, I have a really great suggestion for you. My good friend, Janine K. Harris, she wrote a book called Statistics with R, Solving Problems Using Real World Data. And that book has been instrumental to me personally in reconnecting with the language R since my MBA program. A lot of times the programs that we attend will tell us a lot about the steps that we need to take on the computer to execute certain commands. But what they don't teach us is the context and the story surrounding it and how we can be empowered to use the tools that we learn in daily life. Janine's book features everything you would expect to find in your average textbook, code snippets, exercises, quizzes at the end of each section. What deviates from the norm is the story that Janine writes involving these video game inspired avatars, all female, who navigate the R landscape together as they would in a group like R Ladies. So despite having all the functionalities of a regular textbook, Janine's book also reads like a novel, as these characters, Kiara, Nancy, and Leslie, act out all of the motions that you will have to go through as a new programmer in R, as you feel like you are learning alongside these animated girls. You keep up the motivation that is so necessary in the programming world. 
as you master a new language. This book has helped me. I have it by my workside table to reference at any time, either for a, an R tip or a much needed boost of inspiration. If you want to look more into the book, please look at the link that I've provided in the show notes for this episode or personally contact me on Twitter at DikayoData or email dikayo at dikayodata.com and I can hook you up with a promo code so you can experience this creative form of learning for yourself. For now, back to our show. What do you have to say? <laughs> I know some of it from like reading what you've had to say, but um, I want the audience to know how you feel about always having projects going on alongside, you know, your main job, your main responsibility. Like, <laughs> how do you how do you get motivated to do projects? And why is it important to have them? So I will tell you when I got hired at Mozilla, it was me and another person that were in the last round of interviews. And the director was saying like I had he told me he had to look me up and see what else I had to offer because I didn't have those certifications but I did have a publication um, and I had my work from school that was super powerful to show him and showcase but I didn't have the certifications that showed I was skilled in Tableau but I had really great stakeholder engagement and stakeholder conversations with everyone that I interviewed with so if I had that portfolio or if I had those um, projects, additional projects that I could showcase, it would have really probably been a lot easier for the director to make that decision. What helped me was the fact that I am I'm in the nonprofit space. I also work with people. I share information all the time and they really like that. I was super engaged in my communities. So that helped me secure the role but let's say a person doesn't have all of that. If they had that portfolio or those projects to help them showcase their skill set and they can actually talk through those projects, that would definitely help them land the role, especially in tech. Yeah, I think it's really important to know how to show people what you've been able to do. And I think with data, you know, I just think of all the years like I've watched modeling reality TV shows and it just feels like going into a, you know, going into a casting and be like, this is me, you know, and like you want, yeah, it's like you want whoever works with you to get to know you in that moment, they see your portfolio and it's like, you know, I don't even know if GitHub is the best way anymore like I've been telling people that I think having your own website might take like a little bit more on the front end but it's really nice to be able to showcase your work in a really beautiful way and since you're already a data visualization expert like that must be really good for you but I think even like back end people need to be able to present the things they've done like a like a little movie like a little story <laughs> yeah that is definitely uh true what i will say is i also have my own website specifically because i don't want people to just see my resume i want 
there to be that other side of me that people can see. So just like the director said, he saw on my website that I work with several nonprofits and um, I have that work available on my website when people need to see it. Uh, that is really, some, especially if you're in web dev, you need to have some link to some projects or portfolios that you've developed that um, you can showcase to the hiring manager, the, the recruiter, especially because some recruiters actually don't always know what the, what do they call it? Um, so you have technical recruiters, but not every technical recruiter will know exactly the lingo, their language that you're talking about on your resume. And so sometimes you have to show them. Um, visuals show people everything. If they can see that you did something, is really great. Of course, there's sometimes where you can't, but if you can walk them through it, that's even better. Well, it seems like you're not only passionate about marketing yourself and making yourself marketable, but also you've done a really good job of describing how other people can learn to be like that. So I'm wondering if that falls under your, you know, at being an advocate in your community and doing entrepreneurship. Yeah, I really... I want everyone to be successful. Um, I started just helping people with their resumes, but what I found out was some people just couldn't land. They could have a great resume and they can't land the interview or land the phone screening. And so I can help you with your resume, but next I can't be with you in the interview, you know? So it's it would be very hard for individuals to past the interviews if they didn't know how to speak to their experience. And a lot of people in tech, they don't really, they don't always know how to speak to their experience for a consultant level role. What typically happens is they may end up being too technical. And I saw a lot of, well, they're super technical that we understand them, but we don't know if they have the consulting skills that we need. And that, that would really hurt because I knew this person would be really good for, for the company, but I I mean, the recruiter and the hiring manager are the ones that have to make that decision. So I just started with sharing opportunities. So sharing opportunities, even if I can't get you into my company, there are other companies that are always hiring daily. How can you reach those companies? What can you do? How can you transform your LinkedIn? How can you network outside of people think you have to go to events to meet people? That's not the only way to network. You can network on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, everywhere, like you don't just have to network on the places that advertise like this is a networking platform. No, it's networking is everywhere. Networking is building the relationships. Networking is this right now, us having this conversation, us chatting via Twitter first and just making sure that we connect. A lot of people just don't realize that you can make those connections that lead to long term opportunities in other places. I agree. Like I was even today, I was talking to a data science friend of mine. And I was just like, whoa, we've been like texting each other about family deaths, births, like recipes, birthdays. And I've never met her in person. We literally only talk online. And then I realized like how many uh, people that's happened for like, I feel like it's gotten really real in the past year. Like I would love to meet these people in person and it would be a priority for me because we do talk so often. Um, and I think what you said too about like, 
You don't just have to have scheduled networking time with one company. Like your Twitter really can be that. Like I definitely started using Twitter as a business platform when I realized how much I just like to hang out and talk about intellectual stuff with pockets of people on there. You know, like, and now, yes, it's a business Twitter. Does that mean, like, I'm not going to post something ratchet once in a while or, like, post pictures of my cat more than I talk about data science? Like, no, like, <laughs> I'm totally still going to be myself. But I've gotten, like, a lot of monetary value, if you want to put it that way, out of Twitter um, and Instagram and LinkedIn, you know? So, like, it is really yeah. important to have those places and like I guess milk them for their value do you think that that has become even more important or stayed the same or even grown less since um the pandemic started no I think it's become even more important because you have to learn how to network virtually um people avoided chatting in on on different group chats people avoided being on social media and now the pandemic has shown the movement of information is quick. I remember I posted an opportunity and, a, and an organization reached out to me and they were like, we don't know who you are, but we just had 700 people apply today and we wanted to know more about you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, that was like really fast. But that just shows you how quickly information is um, dispersed throughout Twitter and how large networks networks are so you share it and it reaches one person that person retweets it it reaches all of their followers and that person retweets it the exponential growth is crazy so and you never know there are people who don't even engage but they apply for things that they they may not engage with my content for example like like retweet or anything like that but they some people may dm me and some people will apply and i'll never know that you know they saw it for me but Recently, like organizations have reached out to me and they've just been like, hey, we just wanted to chat with you and, you know, see what you're up to. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know like this. This one didn't have that many. Um, it, did, it doesn't have what it would call that many like retweets or like. But then I learned like looking at the impressions is completely different than looking at like retweets or like. And the impressions were really high. So I was just thinking, oh, OK, wow a lot of people are actually applying or like this opportunity and that it just shows how fast information can get dispersed as well as me. I know I didn't have the same information or the same quality of information that I provide other people today. And that's why I like doing it because I, if I had, if I knew of a me when I was in school, I would be taking advantage of so many opportunities. Um, I just knew of everything that my school was sharing and any networks that I was outside of school because I was just that person who wanted to always be like ahead of the curve. And it's crazy. It's just very important for people to learn how to network. I made so many friends. The friends I have now, um, I've made on that platform as well. It's really cool to hear you say that, you know, sometimes you will have somebody following your tweets for months and saying nothing, but that doesn't mean that they weren't listening. And I, I remember when Twitter started listing all of our impressions and that data, and it made a big difference to me too, because before that really you could only measure um, how well you're doing in terms of likes and retweets. And so if something didn't get 
liked or retweet, you wouldn't know, like, if people were listening, if people were watching. And, you know, I also get surprised <laughs> when somebody who I didn't even know about was like, yeah, I've been listening to Data Farm for, like, the whole season, and I just thought it was time for me to reach out. And I don't think about that, because for me, like... I just reach out. Like, if I'm thinking about it, I send off a tweet. I don't care. I've been doing this for, like, almost 10 years now, you know? But for other people, it's like, they may really follow you for a long, long period of time before they feel confident to, like, send you something, you know? So I'm starting to realize that. I realize a lot more about, like, marketing myself just because that new data point was added. Um, but I didn't even think about it that way until you said that. So yeah, these these um, podcasts end up being <laughs> brainstorming sessions sometimes. I said, and I love it because I just feel like there's so much going on. Um, there's just so much going on in the world that you just don't know. <laughs> you don't know who's hearing what. You don't know who's seeing what. But always remember that you're still making an impact. The work that you do is impactful. How do we bring more people like us, women of color, into the field? And how does the field need to change to better cater to us? We definitely have to make sure that we're um, consistently working to be open to the opportunity to bring these people in. So whether it's people of color, whether it's specifically Black people, whether it's Latina, what whatever it is, you have to make sure that you're bringing the programming that's going to meet those individuals um, in the communities that they're in. A lot of us just say, we're going to put this event out there and whoever applies, applies. But that's, <laughs> you're, if you're putting something out there and you're getting uh, 70 to 80% uh, white people applying, then it's not diverse. And you're doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So you have to figure out, one, I've learned through COVID, people love to just get on a session with you and just jam out, whether it's learning to code, whether it's chatting, whether it's, it's learning a new skill, talking about skills. These companies are getting on calls. They're making themselves available to chat, but they're also doing interactive workshops if it's, if it's tech focused or um, strategy, strategy, strategic uh, workshops as well and meeting the community in places that they're in. So if you know there's a lot of people who come to, one is looking at analytics, <laughs> but if you know a lot of people are coming to your website from Twitter, where are the people of color on Twitter? Where do they post? What hashtags are they using? How can I reach that community? Um, I just sent out something from Jopwell. Jopwell has helped so many people of color get opportunities at large tech companies and consulting companies. But a lot of people don't know about it because they're not in the same or right what we call the right spaces to be um, informed about those opportunities. So as a company, we definitely have to do our due diligence to make sure that we're reaching the people who are not just coming to your website to apply. Because if I already have in my mind that I'm not going to get the job because your board is all white or your board is all men or predominantly men. I had companies earlier in the year reach out to me and I looked on their website and I'm like, oh, there's one person of color and there's one woman on the board. Don't know how it will fit in there. But um, a company that reaches out to you and meets you where you are. So in the communities, in the same spaces, 
There's been so many cool events. I believe, like, the one that I really liked the most this year, I think, was the Snapchat one. They had, like, a live DJ. They went for, like, 12 hours. Um, you got to network and meet so many different people. In that time frame, you could pop in, pop out. <laughs> it was so cool. They definitely uh, met a lot of individuals there because there was a lot of individuals I saw logged in, and I connected with so many people as well. And I think that's just a unique way of meeting people and finding the talent that you need. Well, I love that you were here. I love what you said. Is there anything else about you, work you're doing, or the community that you want to share with my listeners? This has been a very unique year. Um, for me personally, there's been so much value that I've gotten out of this year. <laughs> and I know it's just been tough with COVID, but it's also been really interesting a really interesting year for me. Um, and I think it has been a year where a lot of companies have to now take it for take it for what it is and say, we need to change. We need to do something different. We need to reach the individuals we haven't reached before because you're going to end up with all these companies making these statements about how um, they're going to improve their diversity. And in two to three years, we're not going to see those statements. We're not even going to know what they said they're going to be lost but how do we hold them accountable we help them see we're here oh my gosh i got a lot of there was an event that was hosted and they told me that so many people came from instagram and facebook and this was back when i was actually at deloitte and i was like wow so um i just said have you tried advertising on facebook and instagram and the only reason I said that was because I started to learn there was all these Instagram groups, I mean, Facebook groups, where there were so many people, like thousands and thousands and thousands, I mean, 50K, 25K, people of color on Facebook talking about looking for jobs or talking about their work and finding somewhere better to go. And this, I mean, they got so many people to apply and it's just like, wow. There's not a pipeline problem. It's just like a where you're advertising problem. And if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. Exactly. I'm so heartened to see how you've used social media to make such a big impact in this way. A lot of my listeners already do follow you. But for those that don't yet, where can we find your content in the coming months? Yeah, so continue to follow me if you don't already. It's Tanika Ask underscore Y-O-U on Twitter and um, Instagram if you'd like to follow me there as well. And I am very much hoping to bring more content out um, in 2021. I'm trying to understand what everyone needs and, and likes to see, and I'm starting to see that now. But I would definitely be interested in bringing more content out there. Um, look out for some content that I'll be hosting in November. I'm also going to be working with Data for Black Lives as well. And I'll be doing a workshop then too. And that's in November as well. Well, Tanika, thank you. I know that everybody will love this episode as much as I did making it with you. I'm so glad that you mentioned Data for Black Lives. They are an amazing organization, and you can find out more information about them at d4bl.org. They've been posting a lot about the election and what we can do to stay engaged. 
also, I wanted to mention that Black in Data Week is coming up, and I'm really excited for that. A bunch of us will be posting and tuning in. Um, it is November 16th through November 21st, and the best way, I think, to get involved is to go on Twitter, even if you don't have an account, which... Maybe you should if you're into data science, as we mentioned, but if not, you can still go on there, look up the hashtag Black in Data Week, and then make sure to sign up for the talks that you want to see. And in the meantime, stay safe and stay informed in this election season. We will have another episode of Data Fun for you next week and hope you stay tuned and stay engaged and informed until then.